0: You're listening to The Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about The Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. Good morning. Uh, You can turn with us to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we'll get started. We're going to focus in on verse 6 this morning. And as we have already done, we've moved through Peter, and so I want to touch on a few things this morning before we dive into verse 6 through 9, but Peter, we know that he opened his letter and he says this to the church as he's penning this letter, he says, you are aliens. Why? Because you are the elect, because you are the chosen people of God for his own possession, that you are no longer a people of this darkened world, that you are a people of the kingdom of light that you have a new nature given to you for the foreknowledge of God which was predetermined for you from eternity past, that you are children of God, that you are the kingdom of His light, and that you are, the, that you are heirs. And so Peter opens this in verse 1 and he says, "...who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Christ, to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure." And as chosen people, you have a new identity and your identity is founded in Christ. You have a new life in Christ. You have a new life through His death, through His resurrection, and it is reserved for you in heaven. So then Peter goes on to say, right after this, he breaks into this doxology, he breaks into this song of praise, and he says in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is our source who according to His great mercy because of His compassion on our condition, His great mercies because of what we were, He had compassion on us. He says He has called us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. And it is reserved for you in heaven we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to reveal in the last times that this was our acceptance. That Christ died for you once and for all and that we have an inheritance that will not fade. It will not be polluted. It will not be destroyed. And on that day, because God has held it in reserve for you by His power, not by yours, we have security in that inheritance forever. Forever so then Paul speaks of salvation joy. And this morning as we look at that, it's not a joy that is this brief or shallow or is built on some circumstantial situation or an experience. It's a joy that lasts forever. It is a joy that is deep in the believer's heart. And we have to rest in that. We have to have rest in that. So it's more than just mere happiness from external things, external moments. But it's a deep-rooted joy because of the Gospel, because of what Christ has done in you, because He's transformed you, because He's given you a new life. Because He lives in you. Amen, church? He lives in you. He resides in you as believers. And so we have a joy which we'll see and we'll read about that's inexpressible. Inexpressible. And so Peter's goal here in this text is to have the believers understand that, that this joy should be more than their own uh, I mean more than a, should be more than their own e- expression of moments of joy, but it's an everlasting joy, that it's not just moments in time, but it's an everlasting joy in the good and in the bad. And that's what Pauls I mean Peter's main idea here, and he says this I'm sorry, I love what the uh, prophet Isaiah says in chapter 35. Verse 10, he says, And the ransom of the Lord will return and it will come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. It will be no more. And so Peter pins this in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me and he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And and though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so right away, this is what Peter says. He says, In this you greatly rejoice. In verse 6 he says, in this, referring back to the the preceding message which he wrote about, about our inheritance which is protected. He says, in this you rejoice. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says, in this, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So in this, in this you greatly rejoice. You have confidence that what? That God will rejoice protect your inheritance. And so we have a joy that is full. And this happiness is not tentative on or based on our circumstances or superficial feelings, but it's based on this internal inheritance reserved for you in heaven. And so Jesus uses the same word here in Matthew 5 and verse 12 on the Sermon on the Mount. But before we read that, look at verse 11 or or just listen. Listen to verse 11. He says this. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And in the same way, the persecuting the prophets who were before you. And so your inheritance is great. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this persecution. And we see Peter weave this throughout his message. We're going to see it throughout all of First Peter where He's weaving in and out of this pain and suffering and how we rejoice in that and be glad in that and how He continues to focus on our eternal inheritance and the second coming of Christ, this ultimate joy that will bring us peace in these moments of suffering and pain and conflict and trouble and trials. That we can have a focus that is upward. A focus that is on Christ and what He has done in our life. And so Jesus wanted the crowd to know here when He stood before the crowds on the side of the mountain, He wanted them to know that there's a cost. There's a cost to follow after me. He says, You will be persecuted. In verse 11, it says, Blessed are you, blessed are the people when they insult you. He didn't say if they insult you, he says when they insult you. He wants you to weigh the cost the cost of following Christ, the cost of going against the grain that this world has set, because it's not the same as that of Christ. It's not the same that the life that Christ lives. It does not mirror this world, but it mirrors the one to come. And so I love this. Peter, Paul also urges us to be focused on things above. Colossians 3.1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the mind of things above, not on the things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That our life is... It's hidden in Christ. What an amazing verse. What an amazing thought that our life is hidden and wrapped around Christ. And it's not us, but it's Him that moves through the believer. It's Him that gives us joy. It's Him that gives us life. So no matter what difficulties we face as believers, if we continue to focus on eternity, if we continue to live with eternity in mind, we will have Peace peace that surpasses all understanding here in these small moments of pain and suffering, these short seasons of pain and suffering. And so then, Peter continues to write, and he says in this, verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable even through fire, even the tested by fire. Now Peter looks at the source here. He looks at the source of joy and he urges his practical results within the believers, our confidence that we have a proven faith in Christ. It's not proven because of us, but it's proven in Christ. And he says, in this greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary. And so he says, even though for a little while. This is translated as a season. That there will be seasons in our life when we will have pain and suffering. But it's only going to be for a short while. It's actually translated for a season that will pass quickly. And so some of our seasons may be, in, in view of, of earth and in view of this reality, may seem long, but they're short in the reality of, of eternity and that of suffering for Christ. And so these seasons, they're, they're short. And even Paul himself, he, he calls it in 2 Corinthians momentary light affliction. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that they're just moments in light of eternity. And so then he goes on, Peter, he writes here, he says, only for a little while, only for a season, but look what he says in that. If necessary. If necessary. This is when it serves as a purpose in the believer's life. God has a purpose for our pain and our suffering. And sometimes it's hard to sift through that. It's hard to see why in the world Would we suffer? and Why in the world do we go through these trials and these these troubled times? But here it says, if necessary. God uses these to bring humbleness to the believers. He uses this to, to wean us off of these worldly things. He uses it to teach us to value God's blessings more than the world's blessings. He uses it to enable us to help others to take our pain and our suffering and what we've walked through and what we've experienced to speak life and truth And to those who are in the midst of the same thing. God uses these troubles. He uses them. He also disciplines us. Sometimes it's discipline. I know we don't like to hear that. But this is the one I love. It strengthens us. It strengthens us individually and corporately. Listen to what James says in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, consider it all joy. Not some of it. He says, consider it all joy. Joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not that we can be perfect here on earth. It's not what James is saying. What he's saying is that Christ in you is perfect, and these trials are perfect, and these temptations are good so that you can be strengthened and bring strength to the body. There's a reason for our pain and suffering. There's a reason for the troubled times. And so then Paul, Peter goes on to say this. Peter says in verse 6, he says that you've been distressed. Knowing that these troubles bring about pain, the word here distressed, it refers not only to physical pain, but also to mental anguish, sadness, sorrow, disappointment, anxieties listen to this. This is God's design. This is God's design so that our pain will strengthen and refine us to greater spiritual worth. This is God's design. I don't know if you've ever thought about that in light of your pain and suffering, but God has designed it so that you will be strengthened and that you will bring a greater, a greater spiritual worth to the body of believers to the purpose of Christ. And so then he goes on to say this also in verse 6. He says that we will experience various trials. Trouble and pain comes in many, many different forms. And this word here, various, it means many colors. So that our pain and trials come in many forms. But here's the good news. That grace also comes in many forms. That divine grace comes in many forms. And actually the same word Peter uses here in verse 6 for various, he also uses in chapter 4 later on as we'll get to that for the for manifold. And this is what he says in verse 10 in chapter 4. He says, each one of us has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. So he's using the same Greek word here to describe not only the trials, that there's many trials that we're going to experience in life, but he says also in verse 10, he says use this because there's abounding grace that will cover that. There's abounding grace. And we can have joy in that, knowing that even though there's, there's so many different moments of pain and suffering, there's so much more grace that will be poured out on the life of the believer as he continues to focus on eternity and his inheritance and the true joy in him, which is Christ Jesus so then, I love this too in 1 Corinthians 10. This is what it says. That there's, no, there's no form of trouble that divine grace cannot supersede. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide a way of escape also. So that you will be able to endure it. God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for every human trial. And that should bring you joy. It should bring you joy. And then in verse 7 he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, he says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. This is what one theologian says in light of verse 7 he says this perspective on trouble not only does not diminish joy but actually produces triumphant joy since the experience validates christians faith wow what a statement <laughs> that our joy that that our troubles actually validate who we are as christians it actually validates us and it brings us a triumphant joy What a thought. What a thought. So the word here in verse 7 says the proof was used to describe this inspection period of metal. And and what they did is they would refine the metal, they would inspect it, and in this process they would see the metal's purity and determine its true worth. Determine how it could be used as the impurities were were smelted away. Then we could look at the metal and use it in its most purest form. And so here's the analogy that God's given us in verse 7 is that God's test believers' faith to reveal their true genuineness. God allows these tests to happen so that our faith will be proven and that we can be strengthened. It's not so He can discover. He already knows. It's not for Him, but it's in light of who we are. And so when these trials and when these temptations come, when the fire gets hot, it's going to expose who we truly are in our genuineness. Are we serving the God of this universe? Or are we serving ourselves? And so he says, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. This is the proof of your faith. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Here, here's the beauty of verse 7. In the beginning, Paul kind of causes us to examine our faith um, to look at the confidence in the, of, of, being, of having a proven faith. And he says, you have stood strong in the, in the midst of persecution. You've stood strong in the midst of suffering. And then he goes on to say this on the second half. He says, so that the proof of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so after we've examined and after we've seen that, after the proof of our faith has been tested by the fire and we've revealed our true genuineness, it says it may be found to result, may be found to result in praise, glory and honor. And this is what it means to may be found in result, meaning this, it will render to each person according to its deeds. And so the term glory and praise refers to which believers receive from God. And the word honor is the reward which will be given to believers because of their service. I love Paul. He explains it in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And if <clears throat> and if any man's work which he is built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. And if a man works is burned up, He will suffer loss, but if He will be saved, yet so as through fire. May our proven faith be given in confidence on the day that Christ returns so that our deeds will will not go unseen by God and that He will unleash His true and ultimate blessing upon His children and that is eternity. And in that moment, we will understand and we will know that it is all worth it. This is all worth it. The pain and the suffering is worth it. And So then in verse 8, Peter writes, and though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you did not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And so here is the climax of practical joy as a result of our faith. Here's the climax verse. God accomplished salvation through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. So the focus of the believer's faith is is not this abstract knowledge, but it's on the person of Christ. It's on the life of Christ that He lived and that was recorded in the Scriptures. And so that's our focus. It's not on some abstract object, but it's on the person and the work of Christ Himself. And so that God humbled Himself and He came and lived amongst us as the incarnation, as Emmanuel, God with us to give us this example to have so that we can live by it. And so Peter encourages those that did not see Jesus when he walked on earth like, like Peter did. And he says, thank you for your love and your trust in the perfect work of Christ that you've read and been taught through the Scripture. And he says this in verse 8. and He says, because of this amazing fellowship that we have to rejoice, he says, you, you greatly Rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And this word inexpressible, it means higher than speech. Wow. That that believers, when we live in such communion with the Father, that there's this joy in us that is indescribable. It's above speech. That we, when we look at our life, and even though in the midst of pain and suffering, when we look at our condition and what God has done for us, the mercy He had on us, and we understand the grace that He gives us to be sanctified daily, to overcome the power of sin as we walk and face this world, that there's a joy in us that we cannot describe. That it's above speech. That's higher than speech. And it's a divine joy that lives in us in the form of the Holy Spirit through the power of what Christ did on the cross. And so then he goes on to say, he says, it's a, a joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. And this word means to render highest praise. And it actually is derived from the word doxology. And I think that's kind of cool. Uh, we just came out of Paul's, I mean, Peter's doxology to the church. He, he starts with that. He starts with a, a song of praise to God. And then he writes later on that if you understand what Christ did in your life, there will be many songs that you sing. There will be many times that you rejoice greatly for the work of Christ, even in the midst of pain and suffering. And when we focus on that, when when pain and suffering comes, it makes it easier. It makes it easier. And so because of this love and trust, this person personal fellowship we have with Christ, that we have a confidence and a joy in the midst of this pain and suffering. He says this in verse 9. He says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so Peter ends this section with another doctrinal truth about our salvation. The word here, obtaining, it renders presently receiving for yourself. And so the root Greek word meaning here it means to receive what is deserved. So Peter's not only looking to the future, but he's looking to here and now. He's saying, here and now. He's saying that you have poured out your faith and salvation is a salvation of your soul. Salvation meaning that's a constant present deliverance here. So he says, obtaining as the, in verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He's saying, right now, there are things that God will pour out on you and that's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's he, he is focused on eternity and there is a greater reward, but also here he's saying, look, right here right now God is giving you the blessing that is redeeming your soul that is delivering you day in and day out and that is the salvation which is through the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify you every day and deliver you from the power of sin. That is a huge blessing, church. That is a huge blessing. And it's something that we may overlook. But we have to understand that the power of Christ in us is sanctifying us daily. And that is a huge blessing to have deliverance in our life. To have present day deliverance. Because without it, we can't, we can't function in this life. We'll, be, we'll give in to the world. We'll be sinners. And we'll live a sinful life. But with that, we are redeemed. We're being sanctified until the day of glorification. And so it's a truly a blessing. a truly a blessing that we are being redeemed from our guilt, from our wrath, and condemnation, from hopelessness, and from this dominion of darkness. Listen to Paul's heart in Romans 6.6. 6. He says this, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that the world... So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him, for the death that He died, He died as to <clears throat> He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive in God in Christ. Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And I love his heart here. He says, you have died with Christ. If you've died with Christ, then you've died to sin. But you no longer live in this dominion of darkness, but you live in light. You have a joy in you. A salvation joy that does not focus on our circumstances, but it focuses on our our secure inheritance in Christ Jesus in heaven forever. So he says this. He says in verse 7 of Romans 6, he says, For he who has died is free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. was joy, church. That we will live with Him knowing that Christ has been raised from the dead and is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. And therefore, if Christ lives in you, death has no reign over you either. So there is really no excuse, church. There's really no excuse for the believers to lose joy. There's absolutely no excuse for us to lose this joy when we understand, when we truly understand that Christ dwells in us, that we have a proven faith, that we have a fellowship with Christ, that we are delivered from our sins, and that we have a future inheritance. There's no excuse for why we should lose our joy in these momentary light afflictions, that we can stay constant in the midst of pain and suffering, knowing that Christ is our joy that He is our Savior, that He is our life. I'm not saying that pain and suffering doesn't hurt at times. But I'm saying it cannot remove your joy, your eternal joy as a believer. It cannot remove that. There will be moments where we question that, where we question God. I'm not saying any of those things. But that deep-rooted joy that's not based on these momentary seasons in life will not allow it to fade away. Joy is there forever. It's constant. It remains. And so I'll end with these words from which Jesus spoke to the apostles in John 15, verse 11. He says this, These things I have spoken to you so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You hear that? Let me read it again. It says this, These things I have spoken to you so that My joy... Christ's joy may be in you, in you, the believers, the saints, and that your joy may be full. It's full because of Christ, not because of our success here in this world, not because how the world evaluates you, but it's how you live for Christ. It's how you allow Christ to live through you that we are a living hope to a dying world that we are the people of God for His possession and that we move through this world with a joy that is inexpressible, a joy that looks to eternity, a joy that knows our inheritance is secure by the power of God and has nothing to do with what this world has to offer us. And so as Joe comes back up in the band, my prayer is this, is that we... That we look at our life and we look at these moments of pain and suffering, and that we have confidence that our faith has been proven. This is what Peter's trying to say overall. He wants you to have confidence that your faith has been proven through these pain and these suffering. It's been proven. Have confidence in that. Have confidence that you have fellowship with Christ as believers, that you are not alone. Have confidence that He's. He's delivered you through His death, His burial, and resurrection. And that He has enabled you through the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life and to live it to the fullest in Christ. And that we have a future inheritance. Have confidence and joy in that knowing that our inheritance is secured forever. If you struggle with this, if you struggle with this thought, please come see me. Come pray with me. Grab an elder, someone you trust. If you struggle with... Why is there pain and suffering in my life? Why? Why has God allowed this? We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to listen to you. But understand this, that there is power, that God is sanctifying you, and that there is power in the midst of this pain, that He is developing you to have a greater spiritual worth within the body of Christ so that you will bring glory to His name. to His name alone. And that you will bring strength by your testimony. That you will bring joy from your testimony. That you will bring honor through your testimony, where God has taken you, where you've been in the midst of this pain, in the midst of the suffering. And the world beats down on you. You will stand up in confidence. And on that day, you will say, It is worth it. It was worth following after Christ in the midst of these momentary light afflictions. Let me pray, Father.